to Changing the Sales Game on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Connie Whitman. You know I'm happy that you're here. So as you listen to the show, this, my passion, is truly to change that word sales, right? We get that knot in our stomach that we're being pushy or that kind of icky vibe, and that's just not okay. So to help you on your journey to change your mindset from that, oh, sales, I hate it too. Sales, I love it. I have a free gift for you. It's my communication style assessment. You will get two reports. Both are kind of important. First one will spotlight your natural communication superpowers. It's how you're being perceived as you communicate. And it's not just a business. You can use this in your personal life as well. Flip side, you'll get a secondary report, which shines a light on your blind spot or your lowest score, which maybe is even more important because you really can see how people that are opposite or communicate differently than you how your message is landing. So again, we always want to have that ease through communication. And I certainly hope my gift helps you with that. Now, my motivational quote today is by the wonderful Winston Churchill. And he says, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I know from my own personal experience that life throws us sometimes really big curveballs. And of course, it's when we least expect it. And I remember when I first had my kids, uh, life seemed to be filled with just epic chaos all the time as I tried to fit everything in, right? The work, the kids, the family, the household stuff, and the list just seemed to go on and on. So how do we learn to keep moving forward and not only survive life's ups and downs, but actually thrive through them. And this is a great question. And I think today's conversation with my guests is going to help us all explore those alternatives to help us thrive no matter what the heck is happening around us. So who's my amazing guest? His name is Andrew Fitzgerald. Andrew is a native of Ireland. He now resides in Oceanside, California, and is the author of How Did I Get Here? Now, Andrew is a global beverage brand builder, has launched, managed, and scaled some of the world's biggest alcohol brands throughout his unique approach with retailers, distributors, and sales teams. Maybe he's gotten in with some liquor peeps. I'm not sure. He is an expert in negotiation and coaching sales teams in the corporate world. Um, Andrew's extensive travel throughout the U.S., ultimately resulted in him making a permanent move to California, Um, the many challenges, well, to the United States and then California, many challenges and fears that he faced and the need to show his resilience in the face of that adversity. As a father, husband, and author, he speaks on what it takes to be successful in the corporate world and how to overcome health crises, loss, and, and recover to flourish and thrive with resilience at the core of his story. I know that was a lot. He's amazing. Please help me welcome Andrew to the show. So Andrew, thanks for being on. Hey, Connie, thank you for sharing your platform and your listeners time as well. I appreciate it. You know, I love it because sometimes I get these long bios like yours. And as I go through, I think, oh, what can I, what can I eliminate, right? To keep it brief at the beginning. And there just, there wasn't anything I felt that I should remove because I think it sets the stage for our conversation today. And truly that you're an expert in this, not just surviving, but kind of thriving energy, especially in our corporate um, environment. So that's why I didn't leave anything out. And my first question, Andrew, tell us about growing up in Ireland 
And your mom, she was a homemaker as well as a home baker. And your father was working in sales. So just give us an idea of what that was like growing up. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was born in 77. Happy to give my age away for people that can work it out. And I started working at nine years of age. So as you mentioned, my mom was a homemaker raising uh, myself and my two brothers and sister, but she was a home baker. So we ran a business out of her kitchen in County Cork in Ireland in a very modest house. Um, and I used to help uh, wrap the cakes in the little machine we had at the weekends. My father was a salesman. He would leave on a Monday and get back on a Friday because, you know, that was what you did. Um, and he used to sell ingredients of glucose that used to go into energy drinks. So he was way ahead of his time in the 80s selling uh, ingredients for energy drinks. But my mom was such a hard worker raising us, you know, running the household. But then she was very passionate about what she did. And I would help out, as I said, wrapping all the cakes and getting them ready. And then on a Saturday, after my father working all the hours all week, we would go to the local grocery stores, deliver the product, and I would merchandise them onto the shelf. And I quickly could see how important it was to get good positioning in the store, but more important for the customers. I said, hey, we're here every week. Can you help us out with better space? But the biggest single moment, Connie, that has stuck with me throughout my life is people coming back to me and saying how much they enjoyed my mother's cakes. And that's what it's all about, the consumers, the shoppers, the end user. And I brought that into my life with me. You know, what's funny is, you know, I started with that, that word sales and your dad was in sales. You're in sales. I'm in sales. I teach sales, right? You teach and coach sales. If you honor the person in front of you and meet them where they are with whatever that need is. And in your mom's case, right? It was the, the delight of the, the cakes, right? And, and eating them and looking forward to that next fresh cake next Saturday. So we, we were meeting people where they were, the client journey, right? And, and building that trust, that no like trust factor. It takes time. It takes a respect, right? But we... <laughs> It's about the client journey. It's never about us as the salesperson or the corporation. And I think people, especially salespeople, we, I have to make the sale because I have to pay my mortgage or I have to pay, make the sale because I have a car payment or whatever it is. Yes, we, we work because we have to, because we have to make a living. But I think the flip side is we forget why we're selling. So that's just such a great story. So of course, my next question is how much of the cake did you eat? I probably ate too much of the stuff. <laughs> but I used to love them. And it was always a treat. People calling to the house, picking up cakes. And, you know, my mom would give out a lot of them for free, too, because there'd be occasions and, and weddings. And But it was the sheer delight. And it is to this day when I walk in a store and I see a product that I've been involved in and people pick it up and it, we're part of people's occasions and lives, you know, so we're, we, we should um, delight our customers and consumers as often as we can. Yeah, it's a privilege. It really is a privilege, right? So let's talk about, so your debt, first of all, God bless your mom, four kids, running a business, running the house. I remember having my kids. And back then your, your dad wasn't even home for the entire mm -hmm. week. So being a single parent right now, we have more resources, I think, for single parents. And, and as women, we are more apt to ask for help when we have that kind of environment where a husband or a spouse is traveling a lot. So kudos to your mom, man. She, as your dad was, I think she was ahead of her time. She's like a Renaissance woman. So kind of cool how, where you've landed in your career based on what your mom and dad did. So it's just, they, they, I don't know, are they still alive? Can I ask that? Yeah. So my mom is 84, uh, very sprightly, you know, 
great memory. It uh, doesn't move so well. She's not very mobile. My dad is 89 and he's a little forgetful, but at 89, that's okay. So my dad is a little bit forgetful, but can move around. And my mom forgets nothing, but can't move around. So they're beautiful together. <laughs> they have to, they have to hook, hook together at the tip, right? At the hip, right? So they could move in tandem. I love it. That's wonderful. So what was your f- actual first sales job? And what did you love about it that made you want to just choose that career in sales? Yeah. So during college, I studied marketing. So at the weekends in the summer months, I worked in my local golf professional shop in the golf club where I was a member and I was running the golf store. And I really enjoyed, you know, helping people improve their games, people coming in, you know, obviously, you know, providing a service to them. But again, them coming back to me, hey, Andrew, great advice. You fitted me to this equipment and I'm playing great golf and thank you so much. And how else can we work together? So I love that. But it was a retail environment where people were coming to me and I said, hey, you know, maybe I can go and create demand. So I got a great job working with Cadbury's, the chocolate company, as my first corporate job literally at the ground floor level as a merchandiser. And I absolutely recommend that to anybody starting out in life out of college and sales, you know, get in, learn the business. And I absolutely flourished. Um, I worked from a place of conscientiousness, uh, integrity. If I said I was going to do something, I followed through. It taught me about time management, respect. And I was very competitive. I wanted my products on the shelf in the best positioning, always available and always looking great and created demand. And always follow through for customers. And I did that. And I haven't looked back since. It's that's so cool. And I agree with you. I think anybody getting into sales, whatever industry doesn't matter. I do think you have to start at the bottom and work your way up. I think it makes us better in sales because we understand the client journey, not only from us communicating and them saying, sure, let's do this. But then when you hand it off, right, what is the back office? What are the other pieces of the puzzle? We have to identify and understand it so that, and also we could partner with our internal peers, right? That are helping us deliver whatever it is, whatever the service or the product is. So I, I agree with that. And it's funny, my kids now have graduated college. They're starting their journey, you know, their, their career, like career, career, not just their academic career. And my big guy, he works for a, uh, he's 26. He works for a medical company and he's in the customer success entry-level position and he's proven himself. He understands the system. He's finding glitches in the system and the delivery. He's saving them hundreds of thousands of dollars all the, because he's just aware. And he, you said it. He shows up and works hard every day. He says he's doing it. He does it. They need him for overtime. He does it. He never says no. And he's he's verbalized that he wants to get into sales. So the manager who's perfect. She's amazing. She's like, John, I want you to do this. John, I want you to do that. You have to be exposed to that. So having a great boss too, that understands your career ambitions um, is important, but you have to be, you have to advocate for yourself so that people understand what that trajectory looks like. So being entry level is not a bad thing, right? I think it gives us such a strong foundation for sales, but you have to, you have to be an advocate for yourself and make sure those opportunities find you. And I'm sure you did the same thing when, you know, graduating from school. Yeah. And and, and from then on, it just really got more and more into the sales game, but I sold with authenticity. And what I always say to this day is support rather than control. I can't control customers. I can't control consumers, but what I can do is support you with ideas, plans, creativity, talk to you about your business, understand your business, ask open, great open questions, 
And if I get a no, that's an opportunity for me to come at it from a different angle or, you know, bide my time. And when things change, I can come again with a new proposal. Yeah. And sometimes if the client doesn't need us or our services, but we've had these great conversations, you identify maybe bringing a colleague in that does something different that can serve them. But now you've vetted that person out. You've just added more value to that potential client relationship down the road. So it's not always about making the sale that builds Mm -hmm. the relationship. It's about being human and just helping that person with whatever the situation is. How do you get customers and clients to come with you on on that little sales journey that you just kind of went through very briefly? Yeah, sure. So I guess from, from, from all my career working in Ireland and now here in the States, in the beverage alcohol industry, I've always, you know, tried to bring them on a journey by going back to where the company or the brand started from the history and the heritage and, you know, get them a part of it, you know, um, sort of help them equate and understand how the brand was formed. So I've worked with some great uh, entrepreneurs some great leaders in the alcohol industry. And and they went door to door selling their product from day one. And ultimately they didn't take no for an answer. However, they brought customers with them. So, when I, I remember meeting uh, the Albertsons and Vaughn's buyer out here in Southern California for the first time, and I knew of his reputation, and I knew that I had 30 minutes, I, did, I listened for 30 minutes, asked questions, of two ears and one mouth. My father always said, you should be using them in that order. So I listened. What did I get out of the meeting? People said, how did you get on? Did you get distribution? Did you get us a sales program? I said, I did not, but I uncovered what's important to him how he looks at his business and he doesn't like the presentations that we've been giving him for the last 15 years. (laughs) That's crazy. So the next meeting I listened and I, I, I incorporated what the buyer was asking for in terms of the data programs, ideas. And he was so thankful. Thank you for listening. And that's all it was. And from then on, of course, we had to get to know each other. We wanted to do business. Uh, And it wasn't about next week, next month, our next year. And we sold in a lot of new distribution, new programs. I launched one of the, or the biggest hard seltzer, um, White Claw hard seltzer in June, 2016, as first to market with that buyer. Uh, when we sat in the meeting, Connie, a new item meeting, I had got samples to everybody within his network, except him. And he was, oh, Andrew, where's my sample? I'm the guy making the decisions. So I created a little bit of demand. And then when he got the sample of people had already spoken to him about it. So there was, some, you know, I guess, uh, qualitative feedback. But in the meeting, you know, we had four people come out, senior managers, and I sat on the same side as the table as the customer. And the senior manager said, what are you doing? You know, you work with us, get over here. I said, this is a partnership. We're not in court. (laughs) And during the meeting, the buyer turned to me with three flavors. And he said, what two flavors should I put in, Andrew? And when you get to that stage in your career where your customer's asking you for your opinion, and I gave my opinion, and he said, no problem. What's the plan? I give you the business. How are you going to execute the plan? And it's over to you now. You show me what you can do. And we went and did it. And we had a great summer in June 2016, which built up a lot of sales data through the register. And in fall 2016, every store, every chain took in White Claw Hard Seltzer. It's now a $2 billion brand. And I had a great time working with them. Um, but again, I was ambitious and I moved on to other opportunities to continue to evolve my skills. You know what's cool about that story? A couple of things. Number one, you listened. And it was funny. I remember 
35 years ago, I was in a sales meeting and the manager, the regional, every Friday we had a sales meeting, the whole 48 reps of us that were in the room. And he said, remember, you have two ears and one mouth. You really should be listening twice as much as you speak. We'll fast forward now, right? 40 years in sales. Um, I think it's a 70-30. And that's what you described. It's more than the 50-50. You truly went into listening and asked those follow-up questions to dig even deeper. And he's sitting there saying, he's listening to me. Oh my gosh, he's asking these great follow-up questions. To me, that's listening. Active listening is when we're able to ask those follow-up questions, right? And then you built that trust mm-hmm. to have that. He will. He allowed you to have that next meeting. And I think we're we're very premature sometimes and asking for the business too soon where the person doesn't know us from Adam. They don't really trust us. They've heard the pitch before, right? And that's that ick piece of sales where, well, let me do the pitch now. Instead of sometimes at the end saying, hey, listen, I feel like we hit the tip of the iceberg with our conversation today. I know it was only 30 minutes. Can we do another quick 30-minute call? I have more questions before I even think about making a recommendation of how to bring the white claw to, to market or whatever the product is. And But we're quick, 30 minutes, that's tough for somebody you've never met to get the business, I, I think, especially a, a large client like that. So when we, we, instead of asking for the business, we ask for the next appointment because you feel there's more to uncover. The person feels seen and heard and they mm-hmm. think, oh, no one, no one does this wait a minute, what's different about this dude? I think I want to talk to him again. I'm curious. So they become curious of us as salespeople because we're not doing what everybody else is doing. Is is that kind of your vibe out there? Did I understand that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the salespeople, and I've seen it, um, and I'm sure I've did it at some some stage, you know, you're so conscious that you want to get your stats and your pitch and get through your deck that you miss out on so much opportunity to listen, to ask questions, for body language. I mean, I remember doing a body language course and how quickly I was able to uh, assess what was happening in different meetings. I had one buyer, and I know that we were on audio, but brought some on visual, but he would, at, at tricky times during our conversation, would start rubbing his left elbow. So I went off and I kind of researched that, and it was a self-soothing uh, thing that he used to do. And I, was, I would remember back to what was happening in my presentation, and it probably was something that was, you know a big idea or was something new or I was beginning to kind of push a little bit too hard. So when I understood what was happening, I was able to pause, Andrew, you see him rubbing his left elbow, time to stop, come back and check in, Mr. Customer, Mrs. Customer, you know, how does that sound to you? Do I need to clarify something? You know, I'm sensing that you might be not following me. And always it gave them permission to stop. You know, I'm not, not sure I like this. Can you explain more about this? So, there's so much happening with, with, with your, your questioning, your listening skills, your body language happening within 30 minutes that it's not meant to be wham, bam, thank you, man. This is all about longevity, partnership. We all hope to be in business for a very long time together. A byproduct of having a great relationship will be great sales. But ultimately, we want to make sure the shopper, the consumer, the end user picks us up. We have to bring it to market. We need to do it together in collaboration. Yeah, and you said a couple of things in there too, right? It is a partnership, not just for the sale today. I want long-term relationships, right? You and I, we play the long game. I'm not transactional ever. I become mm-hmm. friends with my clients that because they trust me. So it's funny, 
they'll, they'll call, and I'm sure this happens to you. They'll call me and they'll say, listen, I don't think you do this, but I trust you. Do you know somebody who does web design? Do you know somebody who does marketing or branding or whatever it is? And I go, you go, oh, it's not my jam, but yeah, you know what I do with some people in my network that I trust. Let me send you a couple of names. You vet them out, see, you know, what works for you, but they call you and say, I trust you and I trust your judgment and I know you vet people well. That's that no like trust factor. So then when they do have something that I can help them with, right? Sales related, service related, coaching, whatever it is, I'm going to be top of mind. So again, it goes back to like when you went with your mom's uh, cakes and stuff, you were talking to the owner and they got to know you and how was school this week? You were a little kid (laughs) showing up. They probably were loving you up building that relationship, but what a great lesson that think about that trajectory, Andrew, you're still using those skills from when you were nine years old. Now as a man, as an adult with these multi-billion dollar contracts, it's, it's just really cool because we, when you look back, we really are the tapestry of all of that, right? Of all of those past experiences, then university, and then your experience after that and all of those things. But partnership and the long game, I think that's the big piece of the puzzle. I'm, I'm curious, you know, I love, did that growing up in Ireland and then coming to the United States, how did you know you wanted to stay here? Is your mom and dad still in Ireland, Andrew? Yeah, so everybody's in Ireland and my wife, Jane, she's Irish and we have a three and a half year old boy, Alfie. So we're, we're, we're here now 11 years, and I guess it's just been the, the two of us and the three of us now, of course, not since Alfie came along. Did, did making that move, what, like, how did you, that's a tough one, I think, to leave your family. You know, I'm Italian, so my family, live, we live within a two-block radius, you know what I mean? So coming across the world, I, mm. I'm fascinated by that. Why, why end up in the U.S. when everybody is home? Yeah, so sense of adventure for both of us. We we always shared an adventure for traveling. We took some time out in our careers and traveled all around America, mainly on the West Coast, fell in love with San Diego, went back to Ireland and said, hey, how would we make a legal move to America? Um, an opportunity, you know, to perhaps chase some dreams. We didn't leave Ireland because of any economic or social circumstances. We were doing very well, well settled. And we entered the green card lottery, which is the permanent resident card lottery that's held every year america's way of increasing diversity and we were picked out so we had six months to get ourselves in order and get to america if we were going to be serious about it so we decided to um take a chance to be courageous and move and it was difficult we were very structurally organized honey you know the things you need to do find something to live get a job social security number open bank accounts but we weren't emotionally structured and we missed home terribly both of us so we actually did only stay for about 10 months and then we moved back to ireland and when we touched down in ireland we were there oh uh, this doesn't feel like we gave ourselves the best shot in america so we didn't stay very long back in ireland again and then we came back and ever since we're here 11 years we should have been a little bit more hard on each other we should have given each other a kick in the butt we should have been more open and spoken about what we were both feeling I do say in the book that I wrote that, you know, we, we found comfort in each other's discomfort. Yeah. 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 Because you're going through it together. And I think we forget that sometimes, but I, I think that's amazing. So you deal with international clients now from, from the realm of sales. Do you find that there's a difference in how you approach 
the different colors, uh, cultures nation, internationally? Is there, or is your kind of like your process is your process and you flex to whoever the person is in front of you? I'm, I'm just curious, or do you mix things up? Yeah, so definitely mix it up. I mean, at the core, it's the same the world over. You know, you have to, um, you know, summarize the situation, state your big idea, you know, check in, educate, uh, customers but I definitely flex my style because between sort of America and Ireland there's different cultural styles in terms of pace of uh, uh, speech you know tone inflection but generally if I was talking to some Irish customers we want to have a long chat really long 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 chat and conversation and and some Americans can be very direct and to the point but you know I did some great training along the way I was very lucky with all these companies you know, to get some situational training where you understand that somebody and back then it was they were categorized by different colors. So a red colored sales personality was be brief, be gone. Blue was cool. You know, uh, yellow would just talk about everything all day long. You kind of got to get back to sales. So I, I've been able to flex my style. I quickly can assess who is what kind of traits really or style. Uh, again, it's not a science. Ask good questions. You'll find out who it is. But yeah, it's all about tailor-making making things to different people. There isn't a one-size-fits-all uh, sales process. And I love that you said that because there's there's other vendors out there, sales vendors. And again, they're good. They're good at what mm. they do. They're good for a specific type of company. People that choose me, it's, you know, I'm not a one-size-fits-all because mm. I believe, because, you know, you you deal with the beverage industry. I deal with mostly with banks and credit unions. Um, and then the small business owner, their demographic is different. Their objectives are different. Their client base is different. So who am I to come in and say, well, this is the way you have to do it because it's the, it's the right way. That's not necessarily the truth. So I could give them the process, but the conversations they have with their client, just like you said, I, I use my communication style, but I, I think we have to understand ourselves and understand who's in front of us so that we connect more deeply, quickly by having these little tools in our arsenal. So I, I agree. And, and I, I do think culturally, and I say this when I, when I train, depending on, you know, I'm on the East Coast. So we are, I think you're on the West Coast too. We're very diverse. We have every possible nationality from, you know, maybe Connecticut down to Maryland. Like we really are the melting pot over here. And I tell people, if you're in a Polish community or a Russian community or a Mexican community, get to know their culture because you want to ask, what are you doing for the holiday? And share what you do, right? It creates that human to human connection. And it sounds silly, but people want to talk about what they're doing at home and the cookies they're baking and, you know, all of those other things, right? Through food, we find commonality. So um, I, I just, I agree. No, no cookie cutter. The other thing I wanted to comment on that you said before, um, and I, I forgot to mention, it was the body language. Right. 55% of all communication is through our body language. So most people don't have a clue what their body is, is saying, right. Or what their energy they're, they're kind of thrown out there. You don't really, you think, Oh, people can't read me. We can read and feel at a very subconscious level. So we can make that first impression within like nanoseconds. It doesn't really even take that 30 seconds. Um, so we have to be mindful of all these pieces of the puzzle and understand the client in front of me so that I can flex and connect with them at that deep level very quickly, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose since the pandemic, things have become a lot more virtual, so that can be tricky too. I had a buyer in uh, Southern California and 
uh, when we used to meet in person, his leg would shake straight away. He was kind of an impatient person, you know. So again, I would speed up my sales pitch or my sales story or check in. But now on Zoom, he's kind of hard to read. But I know his leg is probably going at 100 miles an hour under the desk. But when you're meeting people for the first time, that can be tricky, too. So, you know, definitely in the virtual world, we all have to just be conscious of speaking with clarity and also just being aware of what we're doing with our own hand gestures and so on and so forth. Yeah. And eyes. And ever ever developing science. Ever developing. I was going to say the eyes are the windows to the soul. So I Mm -hmm. think you can tell a lot through someone's eyes if they're engaged, if they're not engaged, right? If they're worried about something, I think all of that is displayed again, part of body language, right? Our facial expressions are pretty strong with what the emotion is behind it per se, you know? So yeah, I think even on zoom, we can pay attention and I think we can hone that skill as well. It's new, right? We're on zoom a lot. So just like anything else, it's a skill that we have to continue to work on and be aware of and develop last question. um, Cause we're almost out of time. Your book, um yes, yes you want to want to hold it up for everybody <laughs> so if you're watching on youtube how did i get here is the title um how do how have you had to adapt your selling and marketing for your own book like was there any surprises or changes yeah so effectively my book is my own little brand now so it was very easy before in the past to sit in marketing meetings and have someone else come up with ideas and things. So I had to sit down and really think about the message. And at the core theme of my book is resilience, both in my corporate life, but also in our personal life. So my book is a business book, effectively, but it does take a chance of being authentic about the things that do happen in people's lives and the ability to overcome obstacles and survive and thrive. So as as people, you know, read about my story, they'll, they'll understand about some health issues I had when I was younger. Um, where I flatlined twice, Connie, at 19 years of age, but was successfully resuscitated. Thank you so much, God. Um, Very scary time. Um, As a teenager, I probably at one stage probably didn't realize what was the severity of it. But I'm a father now, and I can only imagine if I saw my son in that position, lying on a trolley, waiting to be, you know, um, flatlined and then resuscitated, what my mom and dad must have been going through. And then on a personal level, my wife and I suffered four miscarriages before Alfie came along. So there's lots of stuff within the book. But from a sales and marketing point of view, yeah, you know, I'm starting from scratch. I'm in a new realm. I'm very somewhat uncomfortable uh, because I'm out of my comfort zone. But that's where real growth happens. So what I found is to seek out people, experts in the industry. I've spent a lot of time at libraries going to authors' talks. How you sell and market a book is very different to how you sell and market a product in a store. However, there's some commonalities. Uh, you got to go and meet people where they hang out. So if I wanted to launch a brand in a supermarket, I'd probably go to a supermarket, get feedback, and get them to try the product. So now I'm, I'm getting involved in authors' groups. I'm going to lots of talks. I'm doing some Zoom and podcasts. Thank you very much, Connie, to get the word out there about the different sections. So it's ever evolving, but it is new and um, it's somewhat uncomfortable, but I'm embracing it because we should embrace uncomfortableness because that's where real growth happens. Yeah, right at the edge of the, the comfort zone is where growth and, and real the opportun- where the opportunities are until you get there and then you see it, right? It becomes obvious, but you have to get there. You have to move forward. Um, and the book I, I did, I'm still reading it, uh, but it's, <laughs> it's, I have to tell you, it's authentic. It's real. It's um, loving. It's um, like the resilience piece of it 
I feel like anybody that reads it, you have to walk away thinking, okay, so this is going on in my life, but I think I can take that, whatever that little baby step forward is um, through your stories and ideas and and different uh, strategies that you share. It And the other thing you said just now that I think is important, we feel alone a lot. Mm. And by you trying to understand, I'm selling this book, which is very personal, very personal. You're really putting yourself out there and exposing yourself and making yourself super vulnerable by talking to other people that have gone through that journey. And again, getting on the podcast and the more you talk about it, the bigger we can serve. And I think it, it the, then we, our comfort zone, we're at the next step and the next step. And then you look back and you go, wow, <laughs> I'm really far along in this journey. This is pretty cool. <laughs> and you don't realize how much angst you left behind or that you worked through. So it's, I, I think a book, again, four-time published author like you, right? The book, man, it puts you out there in a very vulnerable way. Um, so I think that's great. I think everybody should buy the book. Um, and again, it's funny because it's a business book, yet it has this very human side to it. And I think we forget that we're one person, right? We're a business person, and then we're a person person. And I think the book of life throws us curveballs, right? It's what I started mm. with. And your book might be the lifeline that people are looking for so that they can create that balance and that resilience. I love that word resilience. Um, to keep moving forward and not just survive, but thrive. We should all be thriving. So the, the book is available on Amazon as an ebook and a paperback, but I have the best salesperson in Ireland. My mom at 84 years of age is selling books like the new time. She's all the neighbors. She's every single person in her roller decks. Because remember, different I generations. <laughs> and she's having coffee mornings and they're coming around and they're reading a chapter out. And it's just really uh, humbling. I'm getting reviews from people I don't know, and it's, it is gratifying. We're sharing the message and sharing the book. The sales is a byproduct of that. It's like everything else, you know. Yeah. I, I, and it, it, very quickly, Connie, because I know we're, we're, we're coming up on time, but I wrote the book for three reasons. One, to have no regrets in life. Yeah. I've gone and done that. Um, it was a long time coming. My wife was great to push me, go and do it, go and do it. I got support from a book coach, Andrea Susan Glass, fantastic lady here in Oceanside. I wrote it for my son, Alfie, to give him a copy for life. He may be your only child. Who knows? God willing, you may have another child. Uh, but I want him to know about our lifestyle in Ireland growing up, about him. And the third one is for the readers to be motivated and inspired and, and to overcome anything. Everything can be over, overcome. We should celebrate life every day, everywhere, with everyone. Yeah. Is the book specific to just salespeople or do you feel the rip now that it's out there, there's a bigger ripple effect that even maybe you had anticipated? Yeah. So, you know, it's been really interesting. Uh, Some of my closest friends are talking more authentically on a different level to me about their tough times in their life. And I've had a lot of um, females reach out to me, which is different because again, I'm a man uh, talking about miscarriage and, you know, it happens. Um, it's a difficult subject for everybody, male, yeah. female, couples. So it's resonating with different people. Um, a lot of the students that are thinking about leaving Ireland, emigration is just a thing, unfortunately, that happens. They're reading it and learning from it because like everything, when you're young, you think you have control over everything. Oh, if I read Andrew's book, I'll follow these steps. Yes, there's, there's, there's lessons in the, in the book, but until you walk the walk yourself. Um, you don't know about it. So it's resonating on different levels. I'm enjoying it. I'm having fun with it. I love the marketing piece of it. I, I, I lent on a connection who got me a digital billboard next to the five freeway in Los Angeles. So 
I have a yes. little bit coming up. So that was kind of interesting. I was still, I'll be honest, I was standing next to the billboard waiting for me to flash up so I could get a picture of it. Of course, you know, but I was like, oh, this is great. You know, now I hope I wasn't going to cause any accidents, Connie. I don't want people looking at it too much, but hey, you got to meet people where they are. And even if you just catch someone's attention and let's share the message of resilience, it's within all of us. I do say that, you know, the power of resilience is out there and um, that sell authentic, authentically with relationships and collaboration at the heart of everything. And, and no matter who we're talking to, even if salespeople or corporate, it doesn't really matter. Everybody's kind of dealing with something. We have mm. our own hardships. And you think that just because maybe I camouflage it or you camouflage it because we show up and do our job because that's what my customers or my clients deserve. But everybody's going through something. So if somebody's having a bad day, really, again, meet them where they are. Show compassion. And I think the, res- the resilience can be taught through our encounter as we do our jobs, whatever that is for, you know, for the people listening. So thank you for creating this book. Thank you for sharing your journey and and being so um, open and vulnerable. I think we have to be vulnerable to, to build the no like trust factor. But I also, uh, also think people understand like your story, the four miscarriages moving to another country. These were, these are big life events, scary mm-hmm. life events, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right. And then dying twice and being resuscitated. These are big life events. And look at how far you've come. And your mom's selling. I think that is the cutest thing I've ever freaking heard. <laughs> Go, mom. That's <laughs> awesome. I know. And, she's, and she's, that's, she's proud of you. That's, that's, that's so cool. Yeah, it's brilliant. Every day she has an update for me. I'm like, oh, I better check the sales numbers today. But it's more, <laughs> it's given her a new energy and a lease of life. And after COVID, all the neighbors hadn't met much with each other. And now they're back having their coffee mornings and chat, chatting about the past. You know, I mean, that's what life's about, guys. We're all going to be old for someday, you know. So let's uh, let's celebrate the good times and reminisce with each other and have fun. You know, I, I love that the book is allowing your mom to do that with her local peeps, right? And that reconnection and it gives her purpose. See, again, that ripple effect. Isn't that like that was never your intent, but look at that beautiful mm-hmm. ripple effect there's so much there's so much good ripple effect out there when we create something from love right from that that place of love and and um honoring self as well as honoring those that we're we're trying to serve everybody needs andrew in his in your life i think so so go to his website which is andrew fitzgeraldauthor.com if you have a question and you want to pick his brain reach out to him on his email which is fitzgerald underscore Andrew at yahoo.com and the book you can find on Andrew Fitzgerald author.com. And is there a, like a gift or something on there, uh, Andrew, that they could find? Sure. So, you know, in my, keeping with the great sales acronym, keep simple, silly kiss, um, just go to the website, add your name to the contact list in the, in the subject line, put Connie's podcast or in the body of the email. And I'll offer a 30 minute free coaching session to everybody that reaches out. My, my, my commitment is no matter how many people reach out, I will follow through and spend 30 minutes talking about your own situation and perhaps how we could work together wow. and see where we can go from there. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. I, I love when my guests really pay it forward, right? And honor the people listening. So if somebody resonates with you, 
you know, it's a, such a direct connection because they heard mm-hmm. you, they get five. If they buy the book, they read the book again, right? It's all about that long game of building the relationship. And sometimes it really does start with a conversation on a podcast. So um, yeah, my my peeps, I hope that you uh, take advantage of that offer and definitely read the book. It's 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 a really good read. Also, as well as learning, it's a good read. So it, it, to me, it was well-written. So thank you for that as well. I hate reading books that are not well-written, Andrew. It, it's painful <laughs> to try to get through. And yours, it's like, oh, I, I can't read. I have to do this now. So I try to read a little bit here and there um, because it is such a good read. So thank you so much again. Thank you for being on. Thank you for creating the magic out there that you're doing. It's important stuff. And um, I I wish you so much luck with the book. So thank you again for being such an amazing guest. Thank you, Connie. You're very kind. Have a great week. Yes, you too. And I hope you will join me weekly as we question, build, and discover together, no matter where you are on your journey of sales, of business, of career. I really do hope that my guests and I provide some strategies, tips, ideas that you can implement immediately. So some of the ideas that um, Andrew shared, take them, put them into place, be more, you know, do your listening, right? 70% listening, 30% where you're speaking, just try something simple. And I promise you magic happens at the back end. Information is a beautiful thing. If we do nothing with it, it's simply information. So again, implement some of the ideas we talked about today and report back. I love to hear the magic that's happening in your life and your business. Thank you again for tuning in to Changing the Sales Game. Me, your host, Connie Whitman on webtalkradio.net. I will see you next week. I am honored to have you on this journey with me. And I truly hope that my guests and I provide good value every week um, for you to try to move your needle, whatever that means for you, to just make life a little bit easier, our business more successful, and our family life, um, again, ease and grace. So again, wishing you a wonderful week. Thanks for tuning in. I love you all. Thanks again. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with your friends. Tune in every week for more exciting insights and strategies on increasing your business's ROI. And always remember, lead with heart and your sales will follow.